hand out there, there's an outline of the sermon, if that's helpful to you. Now keep your Bibles open if you've got one. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at 17. Uh, but I want to begin a few years ago, where Janice and I did the Overland Track. That's us in Tassie. And the Overland Track, it's a six-day walk. Six days of hiking without a shower. It leaves you smelly. It's probably the best way of putting it. It leaves you disgusting. So on this walk, on about the fourth day, when Janice and I came across this beautiful, clear, flowing stream, we couldn't resist. So we stripped off, had a wash, and that water was amazing. It was freezing, but it was amazing. That feeling of being clean again was too good to pass up. Until we got out of the water and realised that the only clothes we had to put back on were... The disgusting, smelly, muddy ones that we've been wearing already for four days. And so our cleansing swim was completely undone because we returned to our filthy clothes. Well, today in Ephesians, we're going to see that this is so often the same for us as Christians. See, the Christian is someone who has had, who has recognised the filth of their sin. They're filthy in sin and they know it and so they wash in Christ. They ask Jesus for forgiveness so that their filthy sin is washed away. But all too often, the Christian who has washed in Christ then returns to the very thing that made them filthy in the first place. They continue in their sinful habits. Now you might do that ignorantly, You simply just don't see the sin in your life. You might do that knowingly, where you think that sin isn't that big an issue. Maybe you know sin is a problem, but you shrug it off because you know, well, Jesus is going to forgive me. But whatever the reason, the problem is the same. We're far too comfortable with sin. See, we know in our heads that sin is bad. But do we actually take sin seriously? Well, today, as we remind ourselves that our sin is so big a problem that Jesus had to die for us, we're going to see that repentance, turning away from sin, is something that we do every day. It's the continual process of taking off our old dirty clothes and putting on new ones. And so let me pray And then we're going to take a look at our text. Let's pray together. Our Lord God, we thank you for your word. Now please open our eyes to understand it. Open our hearts to believe it. And would you give us the strength and the will to put into practice what you teach us through your word now. For our good and for your glory. Amen. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. Now we know in this letter Paul's writing to Gentiles who have turned to Jesus. And so he's telling them here that they can't continue to live the same way that they used to. They have a new life now and so they must leave their old life behind That's where Paul's going in this passage. Uh, My dad's family is Dutch. 
They're Dutch immigrants who came out to Australia after the war. And so growing up, I didn't hear anything about the Netherlands. I never heard about what life was like. Because as far as my Oma and Opa were concerned, they had left their old life behind. They wanted nothing to do with the grief and the pain that they felt from living in wartime Europe. Well, Paul tells us that as followers of Jesus, we too must, have, uh, must leave our old lives behind. Our old lives were in, irreparably damaged by sin. So I tell you this, and I insist on it in the Lord, says Paul, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. This is how we used to live before we knew Jesus. Our lives were full of problems. The problem begins with a hard heart. The problem begins because none of us wanted God. Our hearts were hard towards him. We didn't like the idea of someone calling the shots. We didn't like the idea of someone who claimed to have authority over us. We didn't want God and so our hearts were hard towards him. And because our hearts were hard towards God, well, we became ignorant of God. We turned away from him. We didn't seek him out. We found better things to do with our Sunday mornings. We closed our Bibles and didn't read them. And so we became darkened in our understanding. The lights were turned off. Do you see the chain of events here? We didn't like God... We didn't like his claim of authority over our lives, and so we chose to ignore that claim. We became ignorant. We became darkened. We buried our heads in the sand. Our hearts were hard. Our minds were dark. And as a result, Paul says, we became desensitized to sin. When we cut ourselves off, from the holy God and ceased to listen to his commands, we stopped seeing sin as a problem. We became desensitized to it. We just didn't even notice it. In the nickel refinery where I used to work, uh, there was an ammonia plant. Now, ammonia is a highly irritating gas. Uh, it smells terrible. But what's worse than the smell is that ammonia absorbs water like the moisture on your tongue and in your eyes and in your nose. And so when the ammonia absorbs this water, it becomes ammonium hydroxide. Chemistry lesson. Uh, ammonium hydroxide is probably what you clean your toilet with. And so at this ammonia plant where I worked, you had to wear a gas mask like that. That's me and my friend Ali wearing our beautiful gas masks. This is what you had to wear inside the ammonia plant at the nickel refinery where I used to work. Uh, but if you happened to be walking outside the ammonia plant, well, you didn't have to wear a mask. 
But every now and then you might get a gust of wind that would blow a cloud of this noxious gas across you. And it hit you like a brick in the face. The first time it happened to me, like I actually fell to the ground because it, it was just burning my eyes. It was stinging my nostrils. I, I felt like I couldn't breathe. I couldn't see. But as I crawled along the ground, trying to find some fresh oxygen, I noticed that the guy who I was walking with, who worked in the ammonia plant every day, he had just kept walking. He hadn't noticed at all. You see, he had been exposed to ammonia every single day of his working life, and he couldn't smell it anymore. He had become desensitised to this gas, that if he got too much of it would kill him. Well, do you know what? It's the same with sin in our lives. The more we expose ourselves to sin, the more we cut ourselves off from the fresh, clean, life-giving oxygen of God's word, well, our senses will become dull. We'll stop noticing sin. It will become normal to us. We won't even bat an eyelid. And so Paul says in verse 19, when we lose our sensitivity, we end up giving ourselves over to every kind of impurity and greed. Do you see, it's just a downward spiral into sin. We started off as a desire to be free from God telling us what to do, and that led to ignorance of what is good and right, which eventually descends into the point where we don't even realise what sin is. We don't notice it. So is that you? I mean, Paul says this is what we all once were. Everyone was like this at one point or another. The Bible is clear that everyone sinned. Everyone was facing God's judgment. But is this still you? Is sin on your radar? Do you feel guilty when you lie to someone? Does it hurt you when you hurt someone else? Or do you even notice sin in your life at all? Or are you like old mate at the ammonia plant, wandering around completely ignorant of the very thing that will kill you? Are you still too comfortable with sin? I come across uh, two kinds of people in my ministry. Quite frequently I meet these two kinds of people. Uh, the first is the Christian who genuinely thinks they don't sin. This type of person will read a rebuke in the Bible and they will think of who that applies to, but not, the, not themselves. The second type of person that I meet is the Christian who knows that they sin. They just don't care. They'll give you a truckload of things that they've done wrong in the last week, but they'll tell you without any sense of shame or guilt or regret. Are you in one of these two camps? Are you so self-righteous that you actually think you don't sin? Or do you know you sin but simply don't care? 
These are the results of the hard-hearted, ignorant and desensitised mind of the life that we once lived. We were all like this, but we don't need to stay like this. And if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, you must not stay like this. It's time to leave that old life behind. Paul insists on it, and in verse 20, he tells us why. This, uh, that, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, he says in verse 20. See, the old you had a hard heart. You were ignorant about God. You were desensitized towards sin. But now you've learned a new way of life. You've been taught in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. Long story short, we need to care about sin because Jesus taught us to care about sin. He came and told us that unless our righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, then we have no place in his kingdom. He told us to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. He showed us how big a problem sin is by allowing Roman soldiers to drive nails through his wrists and ankles in order to fix our problem. And by rising again from death, Jesus made clear that he is the supreme ruler of this universe and that his standards of right and wrong are going to remain for the rest of time. Jesus taught us to take sin seriously. In verse 22, Paul tells us that through the gospel, we, have, uh, we were taught with regard to our former way of life to put off our old self, sorry, that one, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. So when you encounter Jesus for the first time, you arrive at the point where you realise that you've been wasting your life up until now. You've put all your effort into forging a path and then you meet Jesus and you realise that your path was going the wrong way. Your own path was corrupted by deceitful desires. And so you learn to ditch your old ways. You learn to follow Jesus instead. In verse 23, you were taught to be made new in the attitude of your minds. Jesus teaches us that our old mind was ignorant of God. It was desensitized to sin. And so he teaches us to have a new attitude which hates sin. And finally there in verse 24, you were taught by Jesus to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. See, Jesus teaches us to take sin seriously. His sole mission here on earth was to deal with the problem of our sin. He died so that you could be rid of sin. He rose again so that you could live a new life where sin is no longer your master. And so if you have this new life, 
If you've been washed clean, it's now time to put on new clothes, not the old ones that you once wore. Well, the rest of our text, Paul gives us a whole bunch of examples of ways that we must embrace our new life in Jesus by ridding ourselves of our old sinful habits and replacing them with good ones. Now, we're going to take a quick look at some of these examples in a second, uh, but there's a few things I want to mention first. Uh, First, this is not a list of things to do to be acceptable to God. This is a list of things to do for people who are already accepted by God. See, Paul uses this language of putting on clothing. But what we need to remember is that a Christian is someone who has already been clothed in Jesus' righteousness. And so doing these things that Paul says is not going to make you righteous. You're already righteous if you're a follower of Jesus. Through the cross... Jesus' perfect obedience is credited to you. God looks at you and he already sees you as perfect. So you don't need to do these things to be acceptable to God. I mean, the question has to be asked, why do them at all? And the answer? Because it's good. Obeying God is good. I think one of the reasons we find it so hard to stop sinning is because we've deceived ourselves into thinking that sin is actually better than a righteousness. We know in our heads that God says, do it this way, but we're actually convinced that our way is better. We're actually convinced that having lots of money is better. We're actually convinced that sex with whoever I want, whenever I want, is better than God's way. We're actually convinced that popularity at the expense of integrity is better. We need to remember that obeying God is actually good. It's good for God because it brings him glory. Obeying God is good for others as it teaches us to love and care for them. But obeying God is even good for you. You will be happier. You'll enjoy better relationships. You'll worry less. You'll be satisfied more when you obey God. It seems silly. It's hard to believe. But God actually knows how to do life better than you do. And so with that in mind... That's just on the flick, isn't it? Sorry about that. With that in mind, we're going to take a quick look at six new outfits, new items for your wardrobe that will fit perfectly well with the new life that you have in Jesus. Beginning there from verse 25, where Paul tells us about truth that will strengthen relationships. What is it going to look like for us to put off the old self and put on the new self? Well, it begins, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbour, for you're all members of one body. See, now that you're a Christian, you can throw away lying and deceit. You don't need them anymore. Because truth is infinitely better. 
Relationships are built on trust and trust is built on truth. And so within the church, our relationships will be strengthened by truth, but also everywhere else in life, at work, at home, even online. Relationships will be better with truth. The next garment in Paul's fashion collection here is a surprising one. It's anger. Because we might expect Paul to say here, don't get angry, but he doesn't say that. Instead, he says, in your anger, do not sin. In fact, he gives us three restraints to our anger. The first of them is don't sin, because anger itself is not the problem. It's what we do with our anger. It's actually right for us to be angry at things. It's right for us to be angry at sin in this world. It's right for us to be angry at injustice. We should be angry at rape and abortion and racial racial prejudice and war. These things should make us angry. But in your anger, do not sin. If you're angry for selfish reasons, if you're angry in order to hurt someone else, well, it's then that we need to throw away our anger, then that we need to restrain our anger. The second qualification he gives to anger is don't let the sun go down, which is not so much a literal command, but a way of saying don't let your anger last longer than it needs to. If someone sins against you, it's right to be angry. But if you're holding on to that anger in order to hurt the person, well, then it's time to let it go. Don't let the sun go down. Don't let that anger last longer than it needs to. And thirdly, he says, don't let the devil get a foothold. Because there's a very fine line between righteous anger and vengeful, hateful, violent anger. And the devil loves to nudge us over that line. Don't let him have that chance. Restrain your anger. Control your anger. In verse 28, Paul now demonstrates the two-step process of repentance when it comes to stealing. I mean, the first and obvious step is... Stop stealing. If you're stealing, stop it. But the way to overcome our addiction to sin is to find the joy of a better habit. And this applies to all sorts of different fields, but here we see it clearly. The way to overcome our addiction to stealing is to find joy in working hard so that you have something to share with others. That will be better for others and it will be better for you. It's the same in verses 29 and 30 where Paul deals with the words that come out of our mouths. Paul urges us to take off the filthy clothes of unwholesome or corrupted talk and exchange them for words which benefit those who listen. You know, the old saying rings true. If you don't have something helpful to say, don't say it. Verse 31, Paul moves on to kindness. We're reminded 
that there's no place in the Christian life for bitterness or rage or anger or brawling or slander or malice. Get rid of all of them, Paul tells us. But the most effective way for getting rid of those unkind thoughts and actions is to learn the kindness and compassion of the God who forgave you. Remember the kindness that you have received from Jesus. He laid down his life for your benefit. That will inspire you to lay down your life for others. And finally, the sixth example, after urging us to walk in the way of God's love, Paul now tells us to get rid of false love, particularly in the form of sexual immorality and greed. Because both sex and money are areas of our lives where we are so prone to self-love. These are things that we use for our own gratification. But it dishonours God, it hurts others, and it hurts ourselves too. And so instead of obsessing over things which we want, Paul's remedy is for us to train our minds to focus our attention on what we already have And to thank God for that will overcome sexual immorality and greed with thankfulness to God. Well, to wrap up now, friends, if you take Jesus seriously, you must take sin seriously. To put off your old self, which is corrupted by sin. Put off the old habits but replace them with better ones. Jesus has gifted us with new life, and so we must no longer live the way we did before. So let's speak truth. Let's restrain our anger. Let's work hard so that we might have something to share with others. Let's say things that benefit others. Let's show kindness like God has shown us kindness. Let's give thanks instead of focusing on what we want. Let's do these things so that our clothes match our hearts that have been washed clean by Jesus. Let me pray. Our Lord God, we rejoice in the new life that we have in Jesus, that you have washed us clean, that you have made us new. That we no longer need to walk in the old ways in which we used to walk. And yet, Lord, so often we're tempted to keep behaving the same way. Our old habits are still with us. And so, Lord, we pray that you would give us the strength to get rid of sin in our lives. Lord, remind us that sin is a problem, particularly for those of us who may be tempted to think it's not that big an issue. Lord, show us the offence that sin causes to you. Show us the harmful effects it has on others. And show us the devastation that it wreaks in our own lives. Lord, help us to take sin seriously. And Lord, by your spirit, help us get rid of it. Lord, help us to replace our sin with better habits, with godly habits with habits that mirror the kind of character, the kind of love that you have shown to us in Jesus. 
Lord, do that in us, we pray, for our good and for your glory. Amen.